Hi, I'm Lucy von Sturmer, founder of impact-driven thought leadership agency, The Humble Brag, and co-initiator of grassroots activist movement, Creatives for Climate. On this podcast, I'll be learning from pioneers, mavericks, and creative disruptors, all using their power, platform, and influence to build a better world. Women challenge the status quo because we are never it. You're a real leader by simply bringing humanity back to business. Do you want to be a leader that you look back in time and say that you were on the wrong side of the argument when the world was crying out for a solution? This is a positive disturbance. Hey everyone, and welcome to A Positive Disturbance, where it's my mission to create just that by accelerating and celebrating the voices of bold and brave leaders driving forward sustainable and inclusive change. I'm super excited to have Harold Friedel on this podcast, who for the last 15 years has worked in the field of societal change through organizations such as the UN, the Impact Hub, and for the past three years as the CEO of the Circle Economy, which he now advises. Circularity and the circle economy is a movement and a concept I've been excited about for quite some years, but recently Kate Raworth's donor economics have become increasingly mainstream, which is very exciting, with the city of Amsterdam committing to donor economics as part of its economic recovery package in a post-COVID world. So in the time of COVID, when business as usual has so firmly ground to a halt, I wanted to talk to Harold to understand what conversations he was having about the future of the world, the promise of the circular economy within this, of course, and what on a practical level we as citizens living here in Amsterdam could expect to see going forward in this donut economic world. What emerged was a broader conversation about developing new relationships to things and each other. And it was interesting to consider the difference when a consumer doesn't own, but rather leases, recycles, repairs, or reuses a product, and to explore how this changes the relationship with companies and brands. Building new kinds of relationships is a key point that came up, and Harold revealed some of his personal experiences moving from a competitive to a collaborative mindset in order to tackle some of the major challenges of our time, and he shared with us his personal journey as a sustainability leader. I think that recording this during the time of COVID and talking about new notions of value is particularly timely and relevant when we're all having to get very clear on what it is and who it is that we value. Right now, I think that many of us are open to new ideas like never before, or so I hope. And I wanted to understand what role the circle economy might play in a better future going forward. Let's find out. Welcome, Harold. Thanks for joining me today from uh, your camp event by the seaside. Hello, very nice to see you. Perfect. Great. Um, so obviously, you know, for those that aren't familiar with circle economy, the most obvious question to ask is what is the circle economy? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, circularity uh, and circle economy is a concept that is not new. It has been around for, for a while, uh, since the 70s or so, uh, but it has gotten a lot of attention in the last, let's say, five to seven years, um, because it's seen as uh, an approach to sustainability and systems change that is really grounded in the realities of business. Uh, we don't want to be tree huggers. Tree hugging is fantastic, but people like me, I think like you, actually want to make change happen, and therefore you need to work with what is there. You need to work with the economic system. 
that it's at the heart of how our world is being run. And so circular economy gives a new way of thinking about business, a new way of thinking about the economy and how the economy links with nature and also how it links with, um, with the people around us, so the society, and therefore redefines this whole way of how we work and live together. So in a nutshell, you're helping companies embrace, rather than um, just imagining that a product is kind of thrown away at the end of its life cycle, you're thinking about ways that it can be reused or practically maybe can you give me some examples of what a circular business model looks like? Yeah, I mean, that's going and it's very broad. And uh, I would say the easiest, if you think about a normal value chain, you're using certain materials, certain uh, input to make a product. And then normally the product is thrown away in 90% of the cases. It's either buried in the yeah. ground, even worse, or it's incinerated. So it loses completely its value. Uh, and the challenge of the circular economy that it poses, it says, what if we could use this resource and therefore the product that is made with it in a much better way, much longer, put it to higher use, not lose the value because this value lost has negative effects on the environment often, climate change. It has negative effects on a civil society and everybody of us, you know, fast fashion leads to fast pollution, leads to a uh, uh, not very good uh, job environments in Bangladesh, in India, where many of these things are coming from around the value chain. And we are having an economy that maybe is not even serving ourselves uh, because we don't want always to have the latest thing. We want to have a satisfied life and then we have to ask ourselves what it is. So I found it tremendous useful then to think about circular economy where you think about recycling things, repurposing, reusing, remanufacturing, to keep things in the cycle. Um, and I think that's also the cycle of life, really. When you are at home in a, your, your household, in your garden, you don't want to be in a, in a wasteful way uh, living there or living in your own household with your family and your community. You know that whatever you give comes back. That's a, that's a law in life. And I think we should treat the economy similarly and what I loved about it, uh, the circular economy is that uh, it brings the best forth what uh, humankind has to offer. Innovative spirit, entrepreneurial approaches, and a very much in, in reality grounded way of thinking about the world. When I read that statistic that our clothing production has doubled, I think back to you know when I was about 10 years old. So if I'm 33 now and this all changed within the last decade I remember you know still my grandparents giving me clothing and expecting that I would have it for so long so yeah. it's kind of insane to think that in our, my lifetime I've kind of been racing and faster and faster and that actually this is totally new and unprecedented so I'm very excited by the circular economy and especially I guess in fashion you have a lot of um, initiatives within it yeah I wonder if you could give us some examples of some circular economy businesses or business yeah that we're yeah, I, I like to always think about it in, the, in, in very practical terms, you know, where we have to make the change is the, the, the ways that affect our life the most. So you said what we wear, but also where we live in the houses, how we move the mobility and what we eat, food. These are the systems that are most important to change if we want to have an impact. Um, and I like that a lot of innovation is coming here out of the Netherlands. But it's not only the way um, the way to think about it. It's happening all over the world right now, and that's fantastic. Um, think about uh, often cited example is this uh, circular jeans uh, example. And I ask often uh, people, do you actually want to 
own what you wear? Do you want to own your clothes? And then we become very protective about what we have, right? We're not used to not owning what is close to us. Um, but this company called Mutt Jeans, they have invented a, um, a lease model for jeans. So I'm leasing my jeans that I have. Uh, and I therefore, there's an incentive of the company to make sure the leased jeans comes back to them because it's an asset. So if you think of an asset for a company, the company needs to take care of it. But by taking care of it and bringing it back, picking it up from the people who have used it, that paying a lease for it and bring it back and then making a new product from it also reduces the water usage. It reduces also the need for new cotton, for example, and therefore has beneficial value for the economy, but also for the environment. And this is kind of uh, the new way of thinking when new business models come together with approaches of less waste, but also of uh, the sharing economy. Yeah, so, so I find it really interesting to explore the idea of leasing things and letting go of that ownership attachment. I think you're touching on a really interesting cultural. Yeah, um, very, very big, yeah. So uh, speaking of culture and shifts, um, you know, having worked with the World Economic Forum and having led the circle economy for so many years, could you share with us some of the mindset challenges you've observed with people in being able to embrace this new landscape? Yeah, I mean, mindset, I think we all, we all have that, right? And uh, I think that's beautiful about the corona times that it was a time, the great pause, the time to reflect. Uh, and at the same time, obviously mourning all the people who have been uh, dead now and who have suffered from that crisis and are suffering and the people who have done tremendous efforts to help us sustain that. But it was a time to reflect and I think to link back with your community, to increase your awareness of what you're doing and why. And the mindset of me first has been very much at the heart of an economy that has been driving us, for example, to fast fashion. I don't know if we had a good pause in the past of thinking, do we actually want that? Yeah. And I think that's the kind of mindset number one that we all should observe about ourselves, the greediness kind of, and the ignorance about how we relate with the economy and everything we want to have. The second mindset I think <clears throat> that is very interesting to observe is, I don't think people really believe that one plus one can be three, but who says that it has to be two or five or one by that uh, matter? So I believe that thinking outside of the box and saying the financial value is truly not everything we have, we have to think beyond that, like a more of an energetic level that one plus one can be five, that prosperity can be shared endlessly. That's a nice concept, I think, that people, some people have that very strongly and it's about sharing and others first. And I think these people who are also showing much more, much higher happiness levels. And I think that's the second one where we have to engage in a way uh, going beyond ourselves to one plus one is five, because I believe that's where the new economic models have to be rooted in. Um, and uh, one thing that is very um, interesting in our work with cities, but also with businesses has been, we have to think about radical collaboration and therefore radical transparency if we are vulnerable and open up to that space, I believe then we can really get much more done and we can truly tackle the crises that we are seeing right now. Yeah, you mentioned that to me, that radical collaboration you thought was really important. And it's something that um, I've had to, you know, start really practicing with Creators for Climate. And um, I think when you're working towards a bigger mission, you need a lot of people on board. Um, and it would be false to say that it's always easy 
um, and that you don't fall back into old um, uh, protective mindsets. Um, but I wondered if maybe you could share with us an example, of maybe a personal story of your own collaboration um, that you've seen work. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I start with myself first because it's always the most difficult, but also the best examples that people appreciate. Um, I think it was um, uh, as an organization when I was the head of circular economy, uh, some different organizations have programs on textile, for example, and want to change the world. Well, I put a, an active call out there and say, what if we really collaborate and merge our projects together? So think about not what you have for yourselves and your own employees, but what is the added value we can create together? And I think that takes a lot of guts because in the end of the day, it's about jobs and it's about individuals. But I think that's how we, in the end of the day, can also create much more. Um, and uh, radical collaboration is extending your hand continuously to see what you can give to others, how you can build an ecosystem around that. And I like that very much, what is in the circular economy thinking uh, very deeply rooted. Don't think of silos, think of ecosystems. And I think that worries me now in uh, the building back approaches that we're seeing with different governments. Again, they are very siloed approaches being taken, but we need to think of a system. The, the forest is a system, our households are systems, companies and organizations are systems that we have to understand with systems dynamics. And I believe when we engage this in an, in an open and transparent way and think about how we can collaborate first, there is enough for everybody. And then also we can find our way better to do something interesting that really suits us. So could you give us some tips on how to build trust? Because a lot of this sounds about, yeah, like trust is key, right? To people being vulnerable and especially yeah. for business, how do you approach a potential competitor and start to collaborate? Yeah, super tough, huh? I live, I, I, before I moved to Holland, I lived in Burma, in Myanmar, uh, which is uh, the country with the longest civil war in the world, over 60 years with dozens of guerrilla fight, uh, dozens of guerrilla armies fighting each other. It's a country that was really deprived for decades of trust. And when you are in such a society, it's something so fundamental that is missing. So I was thinking about this uh, a lot, actually, and it's something very difficult because our competitive system is not really uh, supportive of building trust with each other. And um, that's maybe what brings me back to the current moment as well in the in Corona times that uh, my local community where I live, spending more time with each other and being honest to each other and not only say hello and goodbye, but engaging in an honest conversation as humans, that's a good way of building trust where it's uh, not about what I can lose, but what I can bring. I think that's an, a, a proactive approach. Um, but uh, it has to do with our own, to my mind, with our own vulnerability. How in the business context this is relevant is uh, that uh, we often try to, uh, and are trying to build spaces for companies to actually work together. And uh, this, uh, some, some non-for-profit organizations are doing this very successfully, trusted, uh, sacred, honest spaces in a pre-competitive environment where people can work together. It's still very hard because circular business models is only, are only on the rise. Um, there is not enough of them. Uh, it's seen as a competitive advantage and nobody has really found this, this secret yet in many of these approaches. And often I think we can only find them together to be very honest. So there is a need for organizations that play such roles like your uh, community of critics for climate. I mean, that's how you build trust and I congratulate you on that and I look forward to also meeting the fellow fighters for the good there. Um, and it's such conversations as we're having right now, where we're talking as human to human, uh, as Lucy to Harold, 
and not in our individual roles what we are trying to be, but who we are trying to to to, to who, how we are trying to protect ourselves to the world. But actually, it's much more important who we are, what we believe in, and that we stand for that. Because I think we need to be really strong now in very difficult and challenging times when the economic crisis will come back after this health crisis. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm definitely asking the question about building trust because it's something that I um, am practicing and experimenting with things like uh, Creators for Climate. And one of the interesting learnings for me has been when you are um, pursuing quite an altruistic cause, people do want to understand very quickly um, the drivers. So um, we're working with a, a grassroots initiative at the moment, and I encourage them just to be really transparent about their financial model because it helps people really quickly understand like the carrots and the sticks and how they can fit in. So for me, it's been about um, transparency. And I guess that was what you were saying. So um, could you give examples of um, instances where companies have been vulnerable and transparent in order to collaborate and pursue circular solutions? Maybe that's too specific. Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, there, are, there are certainly these spaces and it's always difficult to get them in. It often actually starts with leadership. Um, some CEOs that are brave enough to say, I'm going to take my company circular. A good uh, example of a very big one here in Holland is Philips, uh, where the CEO, nobody asked him to say, I want to take that uh, company circular, but it was a commitment from himself. Um, and uh, I think these uh, CEOs and leaders that are doing such um, uh, decisions, that are taking such decisions, are not doing it only for themselves. Often they take, I think uh, it gives them an opportunity to bring the employees into this uh, game because employees, people who are at companies want to be engaged in change right now. So companies have to think about how to engage them. And it's a way also to future-proof uh, yourself. Um, and I think that uh, several companies that we worked with also said, you know, we, we, we do this to future-proof our business. That's why we go circular. We are going to see a changing policy environment. We have employees that want to work for change and their role, the rule makers and the policy makers are going to demand it. So we better go on the journey now. Uh, there's a famous example, the Denim Alliance, for example, uh, where Denim, I think 20 to 30 Denim brands work together on changing the issues with the Denim industry. Uh, this nobody can solve this alone no company is big enough not even an ikea or an h&m they are looking for partners and i think that's uh that's very admirable that big organizations now are, are leading the charge um and work together with startups with scale-ups with civil society organizations to actually make things happen to make change happen around the whole value chain as our international economy is so interwoven that whatever happens in holland or in in the us has an impact as we see right now with supply chains that are interrupted, that millions of people in Bangladesh and India are losing their jobs. And there will be in this emerging economies, a lot of new thinking uh, be ongoing. How can they actually make themselves more resilient? We see startups coming up now there that use the, uh, under the textile um, products that are not being exported now locally. I think it's very interesting what it happens and it's a very, very crucial moment where everybody has to, to speak out loud how we can build back better systems and not go back to where we have been. I think it's a unique moment and it starts always being aware that this is a big moment. Um, the economist Milton Friedman said, only a crisis actual or perceived produces real change. And when that crisis occurs, the actions that are taken depend on the ideas that are lying around. So as somebody that's been leading um, and been such a prominent voice in the circular economy movement, 
um, I presume you feel quite excited now that this um, concept is getting momentum. And of course, with Kate Raworth committing Amsterdam to being a circular um, city, or at least committing to donut economics, ideas that were once maybe on the periphery are starting to become more mainstream. So I wondered if you could talk to us a little bit about the momentum of circular economy thinking and also what we can hope to see with um, Kate Raworth's economic ideas entering into mainstream discourse. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, uh, the last months and uh, two years, we have been seeing several countries making roadmaps. Um, so that's fantastic. That's, that reaches from Chile in South America. Uh, we saw Italy, we saw France, uh, the Norway, um, um, not Norway, uh, Netherlands. I think that is fantastic that we see this kind of being picked up as ideas and conversations are starting. That's really uh, fantastic. It sees it a business opportunity that gives companies a chance to future-proof themselves. I think that's huge. Um, but it's not enough, to be very honest. Uh, we are still going into the wrong direction. Uh, it's still uh, that material extraction is going up and up and up and climate change is increasing at an ever uh, increasing rate. So um, we, we cannot be satisfied with what, what we have achieved. That's true. Uh, but there's a big interest. And I think that what I really li like the most is that hopefully more people are starting to, 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 to support the idea that we don't need to only look at economic uh, success. But through the lens of economic success, we can also find environmental success and we find social success. And I think that's important that we don't segregate this because we can't segregate ourselves. We are family people. We are people who work in organizations and people who take part in society. We all have these roles. Uh, Kate is a uh, Kate is a fantastic, uh, fantastic human being. So she's a friend and uh, and a co-conspirator and a uh, fighter for for the right cause. Um, with her book, she has obviously um, made a big contribution to the debate. Made something very clean and visual, taken the uh, often very con difficult UN frameworks, United Nations frameworks, and. Um, and they work around uh, planetary boundaries and put it into one visual. Now, that's a visual, as she always says, she wants to see action. And I was lucky enough to initiate with her and the team of Circle Economy, they work with the Amsterdam, uh, city of Amsterdam. And the nice thing was that uh, it's not only that you need Kate, no. Kate is, uh, is a one person, uh, which big reach, but it needs political leadership. And there you have to commend and really always applaud the people also who are now on Instagram live and to do the daily jobs, but whatever is done positive every single day. When I speak somewhere on stages, I always try to applaud the people in the audience because this is fantastic what is happening when people are really fighting for the right thing. So the political leadership also said, we wanna have a circular city. What does it mean? And it was often when you're in politics, having been there myself, people are afraid they don't have all the answers. We never have all the answers as we all know not the politician, not an economist, uh, not us as, as people in society. So uh, they said, we want to have this, we want to design a city that works for the citizens. And I think that's what really was helpful. We had Kate as the, insp in, in, in the inspiration, and then we had the partner circular economy who made the things happen. You always need the doer that breaks it down and makes often difficult concepts approachable to people. Um, and what is also was very important, and I, I should never forget that when you engage in any initiative, we also tried to um, design scaling into the project immediately. So we worked with uh, one of the two big, biggest city organizations in the world called C40, 
that ensured that everything we do in one city immediately is uh, accessible to other cities around the world, to hundreds. And I think that is what we have to think these days with the challenges we are seeing in front of us, just coming out of the lockdown, uh, but seeing what can we do much faster than the past, how we can scale all our activities and how can we take a first step today. I'm happy to hear that it's scalable because if I think about the size of Amsterdam, we're actually quite a small city. Oh, um, super small, yeah. One of my friends who's involved in Extinction Rebellion said, make sure you ask about um, the fact that KLM's office um, is located within Amsterdam. And obviously we're talking now about government bailouts, but apparently officially it's in Amstelveen. So maybe you don't have to um, factor that in, but how does that all kind of work? What? How does, like, how, what does it mean to consider donor economics? What, what, uh, what will you be comparing against what to kind of take into account this, these planetary boundaries, let's say? Yeah, I think that's, uh, I mean, that's an ongoing challenge, as we, we discovered, because uh, other friends of mine tried to apply the circular, the, the donut uh, economy, economy thinking to festivals. What does it mean for festivals? What does it mean for a city? What does it mean for a country potentially? I think Kate said that she has a lot of interest also from countries to work on it. What does it mean for a business? I mean, can you evaluate a business along a donut? Um, I guess in a simple way how to explain it is the donut wants you, uh, donut thinking wants you to provide certain mindest standards for um, on, the so on the social side, uh, but uh, to, be able to be able to achieve the outcomes you wanna have you can't use more resources than are, than are given to you. Now the question is how many resources are given? Are we calculating this per person or in a different way, you know? I think this is, uh, as it's a concept, needs to be defined in a certain, uh, for each project. Um, and I think Kate should speak to this herself. But I think it's for me, it's often, you know, it's often very, shouldn't overcomplicate it either. We know that Earth Overshoot Day now in Holland, for example, is in May. So in May, we use the resources, uh, more resources than we should use, uh, uh, that are regenerated. And I think that says it all. Um, and, uh, and how strict the targets are, that's not so relevant for me. It's important that we have targets, that we clearly put this in a context of what makes sense, and then take action, because the plan is good, but it's only as good as we uh, take action. And I love Extinction Rebellion, big beacon of hope. Uh, for to give be, give a voice back to the people if they do it right, and I think we need much more of this as well. Give the voice back to the people, and the donut thinking, the donut work in Amsterdam was a good opportunity because there was a lot of citizen engagement, business engagement, which really gives me hope that this is a way, new way of doing things. Um, I wanted to ask you a question as someone also in the sustainability movement. Um, how do you deal with people calling out? hypocrisy is not the right word, but inconsistency. Because I think that some people are so afraid to move into this space because they don't, you know, if you take a stance on this, then are you really looking at that? What's your philosophy around um, how we can move forward with more inclusive ways of thinking and being towards a common goal? Well, it's, a, it's a big question. It's a big question. It's a big question. Um, Personally, I see it as one of the... Um, fallbacks that people can fall into is oh my god you, you know, put the plastic in the rubbish bin and it can f focus on these kind of minute um conscious consumer acts and yet they're also so important um and i think that that language can be so um 
terrifying for some people to jump into this space to kind of get it right. Yeah. I think the fear of getting it right never helps. That's clear. That's clear. Um, it's, I say, honestly, like I believe people are inherently good. <coughs> people are truly good and want the best for the world inherently. I don't say everybody's behaving that way, but I think that's what, uh, what they believe in, the good in people. We know what is right and wrong. And if we are making ourselves, if we look into ourselves, if we go on a personal journey, which I think for me is always linked with our work on sustainability. Um, a friend of mine would said, you know, if you don't try to uh, inquire yourself who you are, go on a personal path, how could you work in a, in, in a field that uh, demands of others and itself to change? So I think the, the self-compass is very important. Uh, we also see people like Kate who very clearly lead the way and say, that's an idea where to go and then we can choose to follow uh, if it feels right. I think we all know what doesn't feel right anymore and that is taking more than we should, endangering the future of uh, the next generations um, and looking only out for ourselves. I think we all know that because in our families that's how we behave. So in a way I would give the responsibility for the answering these questions back to the people as they really know, as people really know, I, I am I'm fully convinced of that. And that's my only comp my own compass. You know, I've failed many times. I hope I did more good decisions than bad ones, uh, and try to be vulnerable and learn. That's my uh, that's my approach and my really my mantra um, that I, I I can learn from a baby, from a from a from a child, as well as uh, from a person my age, your age, or an elderly. Be respectful to what we uh, can learn from everybody around us. Uh, and then try to move into the right direction. And there's so much to do uh, that it's good to start and let's not waste our time um, belittling ourselves or others, but actually making this, uh, this uh, generation of ours, this opportunity into a real opportunity to shape the world in a good way. Um, last year, I had uh, a woman come and stay with me um, and she's an influencer on Instagram. Her name's Plastic Free Mermaid. And um, I kind of- uh, her I follow her. She's great, right? I, she needed you. a place to stay and I said, yeah, sure, you can stay with me. And um, at the time she wanted to stay with me because she wanted to join in, in Rebellion Week. And somebody turned to me and they were like, are you terrified of all the plastic in your house? And I was like, we're fighting systems change. So it was really interesting kind of having um, someone that was so focused on individual change. And I, I suddenly saw the connect between both conversations is so important. You need to empower people and you need to have these bigger conversations too. What I really love about the circle economy and why I really want to talk to you is also about this new conversation around value. And I know that Copenhagen Fashion Summit this year, if it happens, um, the theme will be redesigning value. And I think that, you know, you've said a few times during this talk that um, we shouldn't just focus on money and profit as um, the main goal. And I think now we see um, cities and governments moving towards, you know, maybe less focus on GDP and more focus on well-being. Um, so for those that, you know, that are really new to this notion of reconsidering value, I'd love to just hear your thoughts on that. Um, because as you said, we're not just um, you know, workers, we live in uh, you know, communities and we produce valuable things for them. Um, but in terms of the circle economy, what are the major shifts that you're seeing in terms of value creation from waste? And, and yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, it's not, uh, yeah. 
you're asking the right, the right big questions. Love to have more time uh, and I try to be also short and snappy in my answers. You know, uh, it's about what, what we give value. And unfortunately in our world, everything has a financial value. And we all know that this is a big, that's BS. That's really BS that we value something only financially. So we're missing out certainly on the environmental value and the societal value um, that is being brought. Um, and if we do this by, for example, not having a CO2 tax on any product that is coming from far, 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 that has a, a distorted price, we'll never be able to actually see the revalue, real value of a T-shirt as it arrives in Europe. If it would have the real value, we would make also different consumer choices and the whole change would be easier. So I think we, uh, nobody should shy away from that. And the real value of things, this discussion financially and non-financially has to put forward. Just an example, not only about the circular economy, but what we see now, the value that teachers bring to our children is tremendous, but also the value that families bring to, their fa to, to, to society is enormous. The mothers and fathers who take time for education, why is this not valued? Why is this not in some way uh, uh, supported by countries really? Uh, and I think there is um, people who take care of elder people. I mean, all these very good examples that we know for a while uh, that, is, uh, that, is, that is actually scary that we are really disregarding this at the moment. Uh, and about the value, there's a nice, uh, I have it on my Instagram as well, uh, and people can look at it and download it. It's the value hill. So when you look normally at uh, what is given value, so you, you add values to a production process, the latest value, even 30 to 50% is added by good marketing. And then at the use phase, normally the value diminish, diminishes by 90% for a product. I mean, that's really scary. But think um, your, I don't know, your computer or your iPhone or your clothes would be continue to be in use. They would not lose this value. Um, and it's only here, the economic value, but we could also think about, you know, the happiness a, a pair of used jeans would give to somebody. You could also kind of measure that uh, by joy or uh, the gross happiness product, I think as some Asian countries have. So uh, there's many ways of dif different ways of thinking about value. It's sad that we still only look at the financial value in certainly many of the decisions we are making. Uh, again, the big polls I think has given us the opportunity to rethink human relationships. And I'm really a bit scared that we move into a, um, in, into a society now where this kind of relationships will be um, limited. And I think there's so much value to that, so much happiness in that, that we truly, and I agree with you, have to redefine value, what it brings, again, starts with transparency and the data that we need to track the transparency. It's been incredible for me. I don't have a child, but I've um, heard of some mothers that have pretty much um, quit their jobs or decided not to go back to work because it's just so <laughs> full on to be a teacher and a parent and a worker. Um, so I really do hope that um, as a society, we start to value the right things going forward. Um, just a few last questions before we round up. Are you hopeful, Harold? Because I know you're not unaware of how bad things are in terms of the environment and hitting that 1.5 degree threshold, which I don't think we're going to be able to hit. So are you <laughs> truly hopeful? Uh, absolutely, have to be. Uh, by nature, I am, uh, and I'm a uh, um, uh, realistic activist. Let's put it that way. So, you know, um, if you're optimistic or pessimistic, whatever, but I, I try to make things happen. Um, and in that be also a dreamer because I truly believe we have shown so many times that it's incredible what we all can do. So I believe always in, in the impossible. 
We're facing an unprecedented crisis and I've heard the word unprecedented more times in the last few months than I've heard before in my life, but it's true. COVID really has changed business and life as usual. And as our society is shut down and borders have closed and with unemployment on the rise, there's the risk right now that in the shift to pursuing short-term economic gains to secure jobs, there might be a risk that this comes at the expense of the planet. I think the circle economy offers a solution for a green new deal, something I am very excited about because it offers us a chance to build back, but better. For me, it's always inspiring when I'm able to speak with a leader that really gets it. Someone that's willing to go out, take a risk and share their personal views to take a stand and build a better world. Together, we need to form a critical mass. If you got this far, thank you for sticking with me and tune in to our next episode with a new brave leader with a bold vision of the future. Somebody willing to create a disturbance in order to create a positive impact.